0: Good evening. Thank you for joining us. One man's life changing forever. Facing death for murder, he says he did not commit. After the words of a con man helped convict him. Now he's fighting for not only his freedom, but his life. Here's ABC's Matt Gutman.
1: It has been more than Three decades since a Battle Creek teenager was brutally murdered in Florida.
0: Daly filed an appeal today claiming they have new evidence that will exonerate
2: him.
3: James Daly has spent decades waiting to be killed. How much time have you spent in prison? 34 years and two months, but on death row... 32 and a half years. Daly
2: has been sentenced to death in the savage murder of 14-year-old Shelly Boggio, stabbed at least 30 times and drowned.
3: I'm not afraid to die. What I'm afraid of is spending the rest of my life in prison for a crime I didn't commit not being able to clear my name for my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids. It's a crime he says he did not commit. Nonetheless, Daly was scheduled to die via lethal
2: injection last November 7th until attorney Josh Dubin helped him get a temporary stay of execution and a new chance at freedom in a case Dubin believes highlights the pitfalls of the use of jailhouse informants. Justice requires that we get to the bottom of this once and for all. Since joining Daly's legal team in October, Dubin has spent months reinvestigating the entire case.
3: I feel like when there's an ember of truth, if you blow on it, it sort of ignites into a flame if you're dogged enough and you stay on it.
2: This story begins on a morning in May 1985 in Pinellas County, Florida. The body of a 14-year-old girl is found floating just off Indian Rocks Beach.
1: She had 30 or more uh, wounds, most of them were to her arms, through her hands, um, basically indicating that it was a fight. You know, she put up a fight uh, to end all fights. That
2: girl is Shelly Boggio, her brutal murder, stunning Central Florida. What does her immersion in the intercoastal do to the evidence?
1: Obviously no DNA. Um... Our suspicion, it was most likely there was a sexual assault involved. She was found naked, floating in the water uh, on a remote patch of land. There was no other physical evidence in the case. With no physical evidence, it may be impossible to
2: know exactly what happened the night before that gruesome discovery. But here's what we do know. Shelley spent her last day with a group that included James Daly, who was 38 at the time, but also someone else, his roommate, his roommate. 29-year-old Jack Piercy.
3: About uh, 3.30 in the afternoon, uh, we were driving someplace, and Jack saw Shelley and her sister, Val, got in the car. Witnesses <laughs> say Daly and Piercy brought Shelley
2: back to their house, but here is where the stories diverge. A friend staying at the house says he left with Shelley and Jack Piercy. He says Shelley and Piercy dropped him off at a payphone and then went off alone together. Law enforcement quickly focused on Piercy because he was the person last known to be with
1: her. But Piercy implicated Daly. Mr. Uh, Piercy was was arrested first, and he at that time gave statements, made admissions, and for the most part was putting the onus on James Daly as the main actor.
2: But Daly has always maintained that he was home sleeping when Shelley was killed and remained asleep until Piercy came home and woke him up to go to a nearby lagoon where they smoked and drank beer. Both men are charged with murder. In 1986, Piercy is tried first and gets convicted but doesn't get the death penalty like the prosecutors had hoped. With only circumstantial evidence and Daly's trial looming, a detective on the case goes to the Pinellas County jail, where Daly is being held looking for inmates with information on Daly. Three would later come forward. So you had three jailhouse informants. Wonder if you could tell me how they came on
1: your radar. Well, like most of them do, and you know, we'll, we'll get a call from an attorney who will say, "My client knows something, um, he's willing to come and talk to you." They're not going to do it because of their civic duty. They're doing it because hopefully down the road, let's be honest, that they think there may be something for them for, to their benefit. Um, we made it very clear to anyone that ever came forward that we're not promising you anything. We need to see what you have to say, and, you know, we'll discuss that after, the, after you testify. And just, just so you understand, I mean, we get these calls all the time. One of the inmates who claimed to have information
2: on James Daly was Paul Skelnick, a con artist with a long rap sheet who's been in and out of jail on numerous charges. He had been an informant on dozens of previous cases. This time he was in on grand theft charges, facing up to 20 years in prison if convicted. Daly had been moved into the same wing of the jail as Skelnick. In order for him to try to elicit some sort of confession.
1: He was there. He was originally in another portion of the jail, you know, and, and, and just just so you understand I mean the jury heard all of this. they had the ability to evaluate whether or not he had the motivation to lie, whether or not he had the ability. Meaning Skelnik,
3: the ability to get these statements from him. Everybody in jail knew he was the world's biggest snitch, you know. Never said a word to him in my life. Skalnik would become the state's
2: star witness, according to Daly's legal team. Skalnik saying on the stand that in jailhouse conversations, Daly confessed to his role in the attack on Shelly Boggio,
3: offering lurid details of the
2: grizzly stabbing.
3: And I had to sit there in the courtroom and listen to him just say I confessed all these horrible things to him, and I never said anything to him. Skalnick is the only witness to have claimed
2: to have heard a detailed confession from Daly... And since there was no physical evidence tying Daly to the murder, Skalnik's testimony was considered pivotal for a conviction. But according to Daly's latest motion, Skalnik also falsely testified about his own past, denying on the stand that he had ever been charged with physical violence, when in fact, five years earlier, he had been charged with the sexual assault of a minor. Prosecutor Robert Heyman says he was aware of that charge, which was dismissed in a plea deal, but it did not deter the state from
1: calling Skalnik to the stand. So did you feel that Paul Skalnik was credible? Skalnik, you know, we vetted him. I mean, I know he's been under attack um, as, as a professional snitch. You know, that word seems to be the, the characterization of him more than yeah. anything. But, yeah, we, we checked him out. I mean, he, he was in proximity for a short period of time. To speak with Daly.
2: Just five days after Daly is convicted and sentenced to death, Skalnick, who testified that he had not been cut a deal by the prosecution and which Heyman confirmed is released without bail ahead of his trial for grand theft. He then skips town. Over time, he is charged with multiple other crimes, including another sexual assault on a minor, his victim, a 14-year-old girl. Skalnik would plead no contest to sexual assault of a child and serve 10 years in prison. I was able to reach Skalnik by phone just as I left the prison after my interview with Daly. Paul is in a nursing home. Hey, Paul, how are you? There are lots of inmates all up and down Florida who say that you're in, that they're in prison because of you. That You put them there by by testifying against them in court.
0: Uh. That's life.
2: Did yeah. And did you ever falsify?
4: Hey, hey, hey. Yes, sir. Hold it. I saw we were heading down a wrong path. I could feel it.
2: According to press reports, Skalnik has maintained that his testimony in Daly's trial was truthful. But once the conversation turns to his role as a jailhouse informant, Skalnik says he'd prefer to talk in person.
1: There's a place. To talk.
2: But just days later, he is removed from that nursing home, the manager there telling ABC it was because Skalnik did not disclose his criminal past. Daly is now living on borrowed time. His legal team is still building its case, but his stay of execution has expired. And his
3: new execution date could be set at any time. Did you murder Shelley Bode? No, I did not. I had nothing to do with her death whatsoever. Have I felt guilt from it? Absolutely. I wished I could have done something to stop it. I didn't know. I thought he was taking her home.
2: According to the National Registry of Exonerations, nearly 200 people had their convictions overturned since 1968 in cases where a jailhouse informant was used at trial, including 27 who were sentenced to death. There's an evidentiary hearing scheduled tomorrow in the case, and Jack Piercy is expected to be called as a witness. If we put James Daly to death here, I think that sends a clear message to the public that our criminal justice
4: system will not hesitate to use a, a habitual con man and a known fraud in Paul Skalnik to make cases. If that doesn't make your blood curl, I don't know what will.
0: We've seen high-wire walker Nick Walenda cross over the Grand Canyon, Niagara Falls, and 25 stories above Times Square. Tonight, risking it all with his longest and highest tightrope act ever. ABC's Will Reeve was there.
3: Wow, that is amazing.
0: Tonight, in his most daring feat yet. I'm
4: about to make a transition here. Daredevil Nick Walenda traversing an 1,800-foot wire. Ooh, that was fun across the crater of Nicaragua's Masaya Volcano. The lava beneath reaching up to 2,200 degrees Fahrenheit.
5: There's a very strong draft right there.
3: Uh,
4: Wearing a gas mask and oxygen tank, walenda battled toxic gas and wind which affected his aerodynamics and visibility
5: the gas moving under me that'll mess with you
4: before his attempt i asked Walenda about what laid ahead the
5: reality is i'm risking my life and we're dealing with mother nature relative to your previous accomplishments Where's your head at going into this one? I've trained and prepared so hard for this, and again, years and years have gone into this. But there's a little more angst probably going into this one because of all of the unique elements, because we don't know what it's going to be like out in the middle there.
4: Mike Trofer, Walenda's uncle, is the lead engineer and has been preparing six months for this event, guiding a team of riggers to make sure that the main wire, just over one inch thick, and the 116 stabilizing wires stayed secure.
0: What sort of surprises have been in store as you've been installing this? Well, the environment has, has thrown us a pretty big one. This gas coming up out of the crater has a significant acid content, and this is one of the stabilizers that, uh, that was hooked to the rope. That doesn't look good. That, that's not good. This is corrosion caused by the stress that was in the rope. I didn't see it coming, but we've got it fixed now.
5: The last week in the middle of the night, I'll wake up in cold sweats because of this walk. Every step is dangerous. But I will start to become more and more relaxed as I get through that gas, for sure. What will you do in the moment when the wind does pick up and you're out there in the elements? I will adjust to that wind as best that I can. And that's that's where my training and experience of walking over the Grand Canyon and Niagara Falls and Chicago and New York City, all of that combined is the only reason why I'm able to take that first step on Wednesday night.
4: Fighting the elements is nothing new for Walenda. Whether it's teetering on the edge of the Grand Canyon, walking blindfolded 600 feet above the Chicago skyline, or crossing Niagara Falls, Walenda has been pushing the boundaries of what's possible for decades.
0: It's
5: his minute of the walk.
0: Sprinting to the finish.
4: You don't have to
5: move. I'm going to do this. What do you think, New York City? What do you think, world?
4: Last year, Walenda and his sister Liana made history once again. 260 feet above Times Square in New York City, 1,300 feet on a cable, no thicker than a garden
5: hose. To do something that's going to literally leave my fingerprint on the city is pretty exciting.
4: The Walenda family, known famously as the Flying Walendas, trace their roots to European circus performers all the way back to the 1700s. Testing limits is in their DNA. Nick and Liana are seventh generation wire walkers. Their family has been performing mesmerizing feats of athleticism for decades, as showcased in this 1963 documentary for the CBC. My
5: mom was walking the wire when she was six months pregnant with me. I've walked the wire since I was 18 months old. For me, being on the wire is alive. There's something extremely peaceful and serene about that. Just like some find their peace by going on a jog uh,
4: or reading. I find my peace by getting on a wire. But in that peace, there's a constant danger. The family has not been immune to the tragedy inherent in the dangers of their work. Several Walendas have died or been injured in High Wire Falls. In 1978, Nick's great-grandfather, Carl Walenda, a renowned high-wire performer himself, fell to his death during a stunt in Puerto Rico at 73 years old. This video, captured by a local news crew at the time, showing his harrowing final moments. And in 2017, a near catastrophe for the family, when a pyramid made up of eight performers collapsed at a training session.
5: It was February 8th. About uh, 10.30 in the morning, we were preparing to break a world record for an eight-person pyramid, and as we made our way out on that wire, we lost our balance, and that pyramid collapsed. By the grace of God, I caught the wire. My cousin caught the wire. Another gentleman stayed on the wire, Uh, but five of my family members and friends hit the ground.
0: I broke a rib, punctured my right ear
4: canal, broke clear through my uh, left humerus, but the big one was every bone in my face. The uh, trauma doctor he said, when we first got the call, he said, the fear in the voices of the paramedics, he says, I was certain we were gonna have fatalities by the time they got to the hospital. But 10 days later, Liana's going
5: home. so It's just hard to relive it over and over again. It's weird when something that dramatic happens to you every single step of the way. I mean, that's why I'm emotional, because I'm there again.
4: Tonight, that emotion and history no doubt in the air, as Walenda achieved his latest dream.
5: Sage just caught a piece of history right there. I
4: think I'm keeping this one, And there he goes, running
5: across. Nick Walinda off the wire and into the history books in Nicaragua. Thank you, Laura.
4: For Nightline, I'm Will Reeve at the Messiah Volcano, Nicaragua.
0: And finally tonight, love conquers all. The aisle was a hospital hallway for this bride, Sarah Cousins, marrying her fiance Liam Pamraham in Cambridge, England. He's waiting for a heart transplant, but did not have to wait to wed the love of his life. In sickness and in health. you your bride. Good for them. Like the words in 1 Corinthians 13, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's Nightline for this evening. Thanks for the company, America. Good night. Okay, so when the New
4: York Times calls you one of the eight news podcasts worth listening to, well, you just say thank you. So go on. Start smart with Start Here, the ABC News Daily Podcast. Take us with you. Listen to us now, free on Apple Podcasts.